When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 320 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are seeking to close the attitude behavior gap when it comes to eco-conscious minimalism. Holy moly. If you consider yourself a champion of sustainability, do you always 100% of the time buy fair trade, organic, eat plant-based, boycott specific brands, avoid fast fashion, use less energy, et cetera, et cetera? Do you always do those actions? And if you consider yourself a minimalist, do you always avoid impulse purchases 100% of the time? Do you always commit to quality purchases that are well and deeply researched? Do you never buy your child a toy just because? If there's a lot of wiggle room between your attitude and your behavior then you may be living at least sometimes in the attitude behavior gap and you are certainly not alone. The gap for you might be a small one or it might be a gigantic one, but there is a gap nonetheless between your attitude and your behavior. Today, at the very least, we are making that gap smaller, if not, fingers crossed, closing it all together. So on today's show, we are tackling a few important Topics. In part one, we are breaking down the five types of consumers. And as we do that in part one, I'd love it if you asked yourself, if you're honest with yourself, and then you ask yourself, which type of consumer am I? Then in part two, we are digging down deep into the attitude behavior gap, what it is, why it exists, for myself included, by the way, and what research says is the best ways to lessen or even better close that gap. All together. So, we have a ton to cover today, a ton of fascinating concepts to cover. Let's get right into part one, which is the five types of consumers. Now, this research comes from Bain and Company in collaboration with the World Wildlife Fund of Italy. They studied how consumers shop for fashion and they came up with five distinct personas. Now, while the research is geared towards consumers purchasing fashion, clothes, and clothing items, for the purposes of today's conversation, I'd love it if we expanded our lens to consider all purchases, all purchasing, not just clothes. 
We're going to go through the five types of consumers. And again, as you're listening, ask yourself, which one am I? Which one am I? So the five types of consumers lie on a spectrum. Okay. If one, let's say, is the worst and five is the best, and then there's two, three, and four in the middle, let's start with number five. The five, the best, according to Bain and Company and the World Wildlife Fund, is the sustainability champion. The sustainability champion is very willing to take action when they purchase, take sustainable action when they purchase something. They often or always buy sustainably. They consider themselves very highly concerned with issues surrounding the environment. They are usually millennials or Generation Zers. They have high levels of education. They at least usually have an undergraduate degree and perhaps even advanced graduate degrees. They extensively research purchases almost all of the time. And the vast majority of sustainability champions are willing to pay a lot more for a sustainable product. Is that you? That is a sustainability champion. That would be number five, best of the best, creme de la creme. Now let's go to the one, okay, on the other side of the spectrum, the one, the quote unquote worst, let's say. I hate that word worst, but not as good. Let's put it like that. The one are the indifferent shoppers. They have a low willingness to take sustainable action. They never or hardly ever make sustainable purchases. They have very little concern, if any, concern about the environment. They tend to be of the older generation, so our parents, our grandparents perhaps. They have less education, perhaps they have a high school diploma. They do not research their purchases, and as you would expect, they have very little interest in paying more for a sustainable product. So that's the indifference. All right. Now, if you're like me, I actually don't know, don't think I'm a sustainability champion, and I'm definitely not an indifferent. So if you're like me, you lie somewhere in the middle. Number four on our list, so just below the sustainability champions, are the good citizens. Good citizens are usually willing to take sustainable action. They often or always purchase sustainably. They have mid-level concerns about sustainability and the environment. They tend to be millennials or Generation Zers again. They have advanced education. And the majority of good citizens are willing to pay more for a sustainable product. So that would be good citizens. Coming in next in position number three would be the opportunity shoppers. Sometimes they're willing to take sustainable actions. Sometimes they make sustainability purchases. They have some concern about sustainability. They have perhaps a high school diploma or an undergraduate degree. They get their information from in-store displays and word of mouth. So they're not extensively researching purchases. They're an opportunity shopper. And then finally, in the second place, in the second position, so slightly better than the indifference, would be the idealists. The idealists are most interesting to me because they have high concern about sustainability. They have advanced education. They say they're usually willing to take sustainable action but they only sometimes 
make sustainable purchases. Idealists gather their information from social media, from television. They're not extensively researching their purchase. And again, they say they're willing to pay more to purchase sustainably, but they hardly ever actually do it. So quick review, we've got the sustainability champions in the number five spot. They extensively research their purchases and often or always follow through. In the number four spot, we have the good citizens. They care about the planet and they often or sometimes act according to their attitudes. Next up, we have the opportunity shoppers. They're sometimes willing. They have some concern about sustainability, but they're opportunity shoppers. They're getting their information from in-store displays, word of mouth, etc., In this two spot, we have the idealists. They have high concern about sustainability, but their actions don't often follow through. And then finally, in the one spot, we have the indifference. These are the people who don't care about sustainability, (laughs) do not research their purchases, and have a very low willingness to take sustainable action. Okay, so from five to one, where do you fall? There's no wrong answer, but it's important to know where you fall. For me, I actually think I'd love to be a sustainability champion, and sometimes I am, but if I'm being honest with myself, I think I might be a good citizen. That would be the number four. I often make sustainable purchases, but I don't always. All right, so those are the five personas of consumers. Know which one you are. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to marry our consumer persona with the attitude behavior gap. Stay tuned for that after a quick sponsor break. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops, My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. 
Love where you live. And we're back. On today's show, we first outlined the five types of consumers, and now we're on to applying that persona that each of us have to the attitude behavior gap. Unless you consider yourself a five, a sustainability champion, there is likely a discrepancy between what you say and what you believe and what you do. This is the attitude behavior gap, and it is extensively studied in psychology. Now, the attitude behavior gap is frequently discussed when it comes to eco-consciousness, eco-friendly behaviors even, but I would say it isn't limited to conscious consumerism by any means, right? The attitude behavior gap can be found wherever you look. Why do we say one thing and do another? Why do I say I want to lose weight, but then I eat my daughter's Halloween candy by the handfuls after they're in bed? (laughs) Why do I say I want a minimalist household, but give in when my child asks for a plastic toy at the store? Why do I say I want to read more books But at night, I just watch Bravo instead. So again, the attitude behavior gap is the gap between what we say and what we do. It is heavily studied in psychology, and it turns out that simply caring about the planet is a very weak predictor of pro-environmental behavior. So the question really becomes, why do consumers like you and me fail to live our values consistently? Why does this gap exist? And of course, research has something to say about it. There are, of course, structural barriers that restrict our actions, right? If you live in a food desert, you are simply unable to eat organic and package-free foods. If you live in a rural area, you likely don't have access to public transportation, so you have to rely on your car. If your community doesn't offer recycling services or commercial composting, you can't recycle. And if you live in an apartment, you can't compost. These are structural issues, and they're largely out of our control, so I'm not even going to cover them today. What I am going to cover are the reasons why psychology says the gap exists that are in our control. The first reason, of course, is, you guessed it, the pleasure principle. Convenience, cost, pleasure. These often trump our pro-environmental attitudes time and time again. If you love the roominess of your SUV and you love your Starbucks to-go coffee and your paper cup, that's the pleasure principle rearing its head, right? If you continue to purchase single-use plastics because they are indeed so darn convenient, there's convenience rearing its head. There are also cultural concerns, too. Here in the United States, we are very individually focused, self-centered, centered on the self. We're not community-centered, by and large. We are rewarded, so to speak, when we act in a me-first manner. The attitude tends to be, and not for all of us, but the prevailing attitude in our society is me-first and you-later, but only you-later if I have the time effort, and energy later. 
So that's the pleasure principle. Next up is habit barriers. <laughs> it is hard to foster new proactive habits as we get older, isn't it? This is off topic, but I feel as though the older I get, the harder it is to change my ways. <laughs> Depreciative behavior habits are well entrenched and new pro-environmental habits are really hard to establish and stick. Research says this is true. So the new year is coming, 2023. You have all these resolutions you want to work on. But if years past are any predictor of how 2023's resolutions are going to go, you know you're going to give up by February. Well, research says that, yes, it is hard to create new and better habits, especially as we age. Another reason is ignorance. I don't really like that word, but The ignorance barrier happens when you want to do better, but the path of doing better is murky and muddled and hard to decipher. This is actually why I love to answer listener questions. There is so much confusing information out there. It can trip up even the most well-meaning among us. And so people like you and me, we want to do better, but oftentimes we aren't even aware that our better behavior isn't actually helping. So that's the ignorance barrier. Another barrier is the social norms barrier. Many of us find it hard to act in a pro-environmental way when it's not supported by our culture, when it's not supported by our family, when it's not supported by our friends. I can't tell you how many listeners have written to me and say they want to eat less meat and dairy, but their husband or their spouse isn't on board. That is a social norms barrier. In some cultures, it is socially unacceptable to reduce your meat and dairy intake. In some places in the United States, denying climate change is a societal norm. And so these are some of those social norms barriers that get in the way of us acting in an environmentally friendly way. And finally, there are the motivation issues. We've all felt them, right? When the problems seem so large and so insurmountable, it is natural for our motivation to wane. Another reason that research says there's that attitude behavior gap, is the perceived lack of control many of us feel when we try to fight the climate problem. It is very easy to feel as though what we're doing is irrelevant. It's just a drop in the bucket. It's not making any real change. So why even bother? That's the motivation issue. So we're going to take our second and final break. But when we come back, we are going to discuss how you and I can each close our respective attitude behavior gaps. I'll see you in a minute. We're back again. Just before the break, we discussed the five reasons why the attitude behavior gap exists. And now we're on to what, in my opinion, is the most important part of today's conversation, which, of course, is closing that gap. So you know where you are. You know what type of consumer you are. Ask yourself, what would it take for you to move one step up? So wherever you are, maybe you're a two, maybe you're a three, maybe you're a good citizen or an opportunity shopper. What would it take for you to move one 
level up towards the five, towards the sustainability champion. And I have five suggestions for you as we all seek to do a little bit better, right? Now, when I consulted the research on how to close the attitude behavior gap, I found this very confusing statement, and I'm going to read it verbatim, and I'll link to where it came from in the show notes. But, quote, the attitude behavior gap is the result of high knowledge and low behavior. In order to reduce the gap, you need to increase the contextuality of the intention. End quote. What the heck does that mean? If I had to say that in layman's terms, I would say that the first step is to drill down your intention. So think about the last time your behavior didn't match your attitude. Think about it. I have an example I am prepared I'm very shamefully prepared to offer. But think about the last time your behavior, maybe you purchased something that didn't match your eco-friendly intentions. Maybe you took a shortcut because you were time-strapped. Think about that time, okay? And then let's drill down our intention by first identifying the trigger. What made you act in a way that was misaligned with your values? What triggered you to abandon your intention? So this is step one. For many of us, it's time, it's stress, it's overwhelm. We don't just want a quick fix. We actually need a quick fix. If you need a new sweater, you don't have the time to sit and research the perfect ethically made sweater from a transparent brand. And so you think to yourself, What's one sweater in the grand scheme of things? I'll take a shortcut this one time. I've been there plenty of times. Now, here's an example from my own life. I'm going to give you the example, and then I'm going to tell you the trigger behind my bad behavior. I need to say I am quite embarrassed and ashamed of this example. It happened about three weeks ago. My shame and embarrassment still keeps me up at night, but in the interest of being Like, I don't want to put this out into the world, but in the interest of being open and honest and transparent, I'm going to do it. So don't send me emails telling me I'm a horrible person, please. I can't handle it. The example is my youngest daughter, Lada's Halloween costume. She told me she wanted to be a witch for Halloween. And I said, inside, I said to myself in my brain, I said, oh, wonderful. I already have a witch costume that will fit my five-year-old because It just so happened that when my older daughter, Ani, was five, she was a witch. So I acquired a black dress, I acquired a witch hat, and I saved it for the last three years. So, okay, Lada wants to be a witch. Perfect. I already have her costume. Don't have to buy a single thing. We're good to go. Well, wouldn't you know that her best friend also wanted to be a witch? The best friend went to the Halloween store down the street and bought a fancy schmancy new witch costume. And suddenly the hand-me-down black dress that my daughter, Lada, was going to wear didn't seem exciting enough, fancy enough for the Halloween festivities. And so my daughter, Lada, wanted to buy a new costume. (laughs) And in my head, I'm thinking to myself, why would we buy a single-use 
costume. You're going to literally wear it one time when we have a perfectly good one. That's where my mind is. You're not going to be lacking. You're still going to be enjoying the experience of Halloween. You don't need a new costume. But she pleaded. She pled. (laughs) And so I said, all right, Lada, why don't we just go to the Halloween store and look? We got there. She found a witch costume that she really wanted. She looked at me with her big brown eyes and her pleading and hopeful expression. I did not want to let my daughter down. I wanted to make her happy. I wanted her to feel all kinds of childhood joy on Halloween. And so I bought her a single-use polyester witch costume that... You know, she wore happily on Halloween, and now it's sitting in the Halloween box in my basement, probably to never be used or worn by my family ever again. So that's my example. Back to my trigger. What was my trigger? Because step one is identifying the trigger. My trigger was my daughter's pleading eyes and hopeful expression. There it was. That was the trigger. The trigger also was going to the store, the Halloween store. That was my big mistake. Once we stepped foot in that store, no, once we got in the car to go to the store, that's where all bets were off. All right. So that's my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad example. Now we're on to step two. After you've identified your trigger, what was it that caused you to abandon your values and act in a different way? Step two is to make a plan. What do you need next time to act differently? This is where you outline the steps, the tools, the strategies you need to act on your intent. This is also the step where you play out how it would look in your mind next time the situation occurs. And it will occur a second time, right? Things always do come back around. So what do I need next time to act differently? I need more personal resolve. I need options to make my daughter feel special without purchasing the new synthetic single-use Halloween costume. I could have suggested that we make her costume, we like flare it up. Maybe we add some ribbon. Maybe we add some tulle. I don't know. We could have taken the costume we had and done some things with it. I need next time the personal inner resolve to not take her to the store. That was my biggest mistake. And so I also need to play out in my mind what next time will look like when she, because it's not, because this situation is not limited. This situation is not limited only to a Halloween costume, right? There are definitely going to be times in the future where my daughter wants something new when she already has the same item in perfectly decent, perfectly good condition. So how am I going to present in those inevitable future situations. Now, for the rest of you, as you're thinking about your example, perhaps what you need as you're making your plan, what do you need to act differently next time? Perhaps what you need is something intangible. Perhaps what you need is more mental space. Perhaps what you need is extra time. When you're making your plan, This is the time when you ask yourself, how can I give myself what I need? I think about wine in this situation. I do not personally like to drink wine during the week. It 
makes my mornings hard. It's just not a great habit. However, there are days when, like, let's say today's Wednesday. I'm recording on a Wednesday. So Wednesday at five o'clock, I'm stressed and overwhelmed. And I think to myself, oh, I really need a glass of wine here. What do I really need in that situation? What is wine covering up or lessening? What I probably need is a minute to myself. What I probably need is a moment to breathe and get my anxiety under control. So when you're making your plan, ask yourself, what do you need to act differently? And then seek to get it. Don't forget also to play out how it will look next time when you act differently. So that's step two. Step three is to practice. You have to practice the desired behavior over and over and over again. Give yourself grace. We're humans. We're not perfect. We're going to mess up. But continue to practice the desired behavior over and over again. For For me personally, in my example, what I need to practice is saying no to my daughter. Maybe not all the time, but most of the time. I need to understand that the times when I can happily say yes to her are the times when she truly needs something new, not when she already has a perfectly decent item that she wants to upgrade. So I need to practice consistency with my daughter. I need to practice saying no. I need to practice offering alternatives. In most things in life, consistency is key. And consistency step five, I'm getting ahead of myself. So after step three, we practice, we go to step four, which is to keep your motivation up. Motivation can wane with time. There's real interesting research that says that a great way to keep your motivation up is to hang with like-minded people. So surround yourself with people who are eco-conscious minimalists. When you hang out with people who share your own attitudes and beliefs, your behavior will change. Isn't that interesting? It's it's interesting, but it's not surprising, right? If you want to run more, hang out with runners. If you want to live a deeper eco-minimalist lifestyle, hang out with people like you. They will consistently give you the motivation in those instances where your motivation wanes. Another trick too here, based in research to keep your motivation up, is to make the behavior, whatever it is, more attractive, and less aversive. So another way of saying that is to ask yourself, what is in it for you? What is in it for you? Going back to my situation, what's in it for me to say no to my daughter? Well, save 30 bucks, (laughs) live according to my values. There's, you know, when I go against my values, I feel profound guilt and shame and it weighs on me. It weighs on me. Uh, I've been, I said at the outset that I've been thinking about this purchase for three weeks. For three weeks, I've had an excessive mental burden because I went against my values. So what's in it for me? Saved money, less of a mental load. If you consider yourself on the scale of five personas, a good citizen or an opportunity shopper, what would be a great practice for you to get in would be to start thinking about your purchases in terms of durability, in terms of cost per use or cost per wear. So when you ask yourself, what's in this purchase for me? It's more expensive. Why would I do this? 
Remember that buying the more durable items, the made-to-last items, that will help you in the long run. It'll also help the planet because items that last longer require fewer resources. You won't have to buy two things. You only have to buy one. But you're going to save money as well, right? So keep your motivation up. That's step four. And then finally, step five is to be consistent for the long haul. As in most things in life, consistency is indeed king. (laughs) Realize that we are fighting an elusive beast. We are not necessarily going to see the beast of global warming or climate change defeated. We are not necessarily going to experience the joys that come with seeing progress from our actions, significant progress. It's not about participating in some gallant battle. (laughs) It's about quietly trudging along. It's about living our values every day, even though doing so isn't particularly glamorous, even though those amongst us seemingly aren't on board. It's about committing for the long haul. I think about exercise here when we talk about consistency. (laughs) A silly story. At the start of January, so my New Year's resolution or one of my New Year's resolutions in January of 2022 was to start seriously lifting weights. So seriously, I'm not like just playing around with the three pounders. I'm seriously lifting weights. And back in January, I thought to myself, oh, I can't wait to see where I'm going to be in December. I'm going to have muscles in my arms for once. I've always had these like real stick sized twig arms. And I was like, oh, if I just keep up with this for 12 months, oh, I can't wait to see where I'll be. Well, here we are in November. I have lifted consistently. I have lifted heavily. I've done everything right for 11 months. And I have little to very little definition on my arms. I am nowhere near where I had hoped to be after 11 months of serious, hard training. (laughs) So yes, if you saw me, you would not think like, oh, wow, she has guns. Oh, wow, she lifts weights. No, you would never think that. So when we talk about consistency for the long haul, we need to expand our lens of length. When it comes to exercise, it's not about exercising for six months or a year and then suddenly our bodies will be transformed. That's not how it works. Consistency in exercise for the long haul is exercising most days for decades. Decades. That's actually when you're going to see the change. Decades. And I know that to be true because of my twig arms. (laughs) So, Consistency for the long haul when it comes to eco-minimalism is playing the long game. And I should say here too that on Tuesday's episode, we're going to talk about teaching our kids our values, remembering also that instilling values in our kids is an 18-year event. It's not just like a one and done. I teach this this one time and then they get it. No, it's about consistently teaching, acting, doing in ways that align with our values, even when it's not glamorous for the long, long haul. So expand your lens of what long haul means. That's where the sweet sauce is. 
I so hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an episode idea, if you have an eco tip, if you have anything you want to say to me, send me an email. I'm so excited to help you in any way I can. I will see you on Tuesday where, again, we are talking about the down and dirty, the nuts and bolts, the non-glamorousness of eco-minimalism in parenting. I will see you then. Have an amazing weekend and take care, my friends.